Welcome to the Asbury Park Vibes podcast. Asbury Park Vibes is dedicated to sharing information about the live music scene in the Asbury Park area, as well as the bands who have traveled through. We thank you for tuning in, downloading, or just stumbling upon our podcast. And welcome, everybody. This is Doug Drescher for Asbury Park Vibes, and my podcast is called Seen and Heard. And I'm here with a cool fella uh, by the name of Arlen Phyllis. Uh If you're from the area, you've seen him. Uh, you probably have heard him somewhere. If you sell hats, he's probably stopped at your store because he has a collection of the coolest hats. Uh, he is a man meant for a haberdashery, I think they would call him, in a nutshell. If you have any interest in uh, gospel music, Lyle Lovett, Brian Fallon, Ryan Adams, Dr. John Zydeco, a little bit of Dylan, and the passion of Woody Guthrie, you would land in this gentleman's basement sitting next to him on the piano. Uh, Arlen, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I appreciate taking the time. If I was a man of war, 
have to fight no more We could simply settle the score Everybody singing no one no more And if I was a dinosaur I could bear the weight of the world That is quite a, a background of genetic material that makes up your sound. Uh, what I find, yeah, it's interesting. It's always interesting to hear people's, you know, impression, as it were, because uh, you never, you can't tell when you, you, you know, identifying yourself is troublesome. Well, you know, I think part of the issue I find when you do research on musicians is that you go by, you know, Arlen Phyllis, but then you've been in like another band with a bigger name and in a bunch of soundtracks. So if you go to Spotify, it doesn't necessarily take you to the full body of music. You sort of have to root around. Because you've had music on some really cool uh, soundtracks. The Dallas Buyers Club, uh, probably one of the, you know, everybody heard that. Uh, did I did I miss an influence that others have picked up? Um... <sighs> It, you know what? It, it all depends on what you listen to. <laughs> what, really, I, what I, you know, right? What I really love is that your your earlier records are much more straight ahead, uh, and I think a little bit more whiskey town sound for those who know the the No Depression yeah. movement. And then your 2020 release, which we'll talk about in much uh, greater length in a little bit. Uh, what an eclectic sound from it, it sounded like you were actually standing in a field recording gospel singers for essentially the the, the, the lead track um, and there's Zydeco in there there's that Dr. John there's a stride piano it, and it's it's like a it's like you could track this growth of of the influences in you as a musician and it's it's really a pleasure to be able to see that happen oh thank you or at least hear it happen I wasn't there Right. So, yeah. so Arlen, the the ten cent tour. I know you were born on the left coast. Spent yeah, some time everywhere. So give us the uh, give us the five cent tour of how you landed yourself uh, outside of Asbury Park. All right. Uh, I grew up in uh, Studio City, California, um, right off Laurel Canyon, and uh, graduated from the LA County High School for the Arts. Um, spent a summer delivering pizzas and then decided music school was a better option. So I ended up at the Berkeley School of Music in Boston where my one of my good buddies Dave had just spent the last year and I said, Well what do you think out there? Has it you know he's like, Come on man, I got an extra room for you. I'll kick my roommate out. Cool. So I went to <laughs> I went to Boston uh, for a few years, uh, met some guys, had a band there. Uh, we were called the Easy Walkers. Uh, our guitarist is a kid from Miami, Florida. Um, he was getting pretty tired of school, as I was. And uh, at that time, in the early 90s, Miami Beach had a growing, pretty dynamic scene. And there was 
uh, original music scene, about 10 clubs on South Beach, all within a few blocks from each other that hosted live music every night of the week, including like the Stephen Talk House was a, was a, you know, the one they have on Long Island and they've opened one down in Miami. I spent a bunch of years down there. Um, and that's Harvard where you formed the uh, Arlen Phyllis and the Broken Hearted. No. Oh, uh, no. That okay. Was, that was actually with a band called Natural Causes. Oh, Natural Causes. I'm sorry. I got my, and, my notes uh, backwards. That's okay. Uh, Tom Dowd, uh, producer who's a Miami guy, um, took us into the studio and uh, we did a bunch of demos. Uh, band ended up breaking up, sadly. Uh, I signed a solo deal with Island Records that Tom produced that uh, sadly never was officially released. Yeah. Um, and that kind of culminated my Miami experience. Um, from there, I put my dog in a van and a car for about six months and traveled around the United States playing music from everywhere from Starbucks to open mics and, you know, the exit in in Nashville. There, there was no venue I <laughs> Wouldn't be happy to play. And, uh, it plopped back down in New York City in Williamsburg. Uh, spent uh, about five years in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as that was kind of becoming a burgeoning, you know, hipster music scene. Um, until you couldn't af- until you couldn't afford to live there anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I went on tour, and when I came back, a club called Tobacco Road opened up in New York City. Um, I was working next door at this place, Carol Music, and we started recording bands uh, at a tobacco road there until they closed, um, where I met a young lady, Katie, my wife, um, some 20 years ago, <laughs> and uh, she was from Jersey. And uh, Which, so- I, you know, if you're a Brooklyn hipster, Jersey is equivalent to driving to, like, you know, Montana. Oh, especially if you're from Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a long it's a long loop. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a totally different living experience, but I, I've so much enjoyed making New Jersey my home. I've got three kids that all grew were born here, and um, uh, it's uh, it's a good state for music. Folks sure. like songs, they like songs around here. You know? Well, you know my my first thought in hearing you talk about you know. I'd be interested uh, for for a person with with your musical taste and and the things that that Americana, for lack of any sort of better word for it, mm-hmm. it is is Berkeley School of Music, which, from my opinion, my I graduated high school in the mid eighties, early eighties, and my, and my friends who went there were all into shredding Frank Zappa, you know, playing as many notes as possible. And you show up there with an acoustic guitar and a, and a harmonica. Uh, do they treat the Americana folk well there? Well, I was I was actually strictly on the piano back then. Um, although they wouldn't let me take piano lessons, they made me a vocal major because I didn't have any formal piano training. Okay. Um, so um, I was a vocal major there, and yes, I mean there were tons of shredders um, on all instruments. But what I did learn there, which was really invaluable, was some really solid ear training skills and music history, knowledge, knowledge base, you know, uh, mostly jazz, which I, till that time, I had very limited exposure to, except for like what, Louis Armstrong or like, 
you know, the, the obvious ones that you hear about, and you know, in pop, um, that sure. crossed over into pop music, um, or, you know, pop so performance. which, which um, jazz artists did they introduce you to? And when you heard for the first time, you were like, well, yeah, how did Charles, I live this long without it? Right. Charles Mangus. Yeah. One of the great composers of any genre of all time. Absolutely. Just absolutely blew my mind. Um, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk became my favorite piano player ever. I I um, hear some of that stride piano in in this new record as well. Yeah, yeah, and um, I like some of the dissonant uh, melodies that uh, that Monk uh, kind of informed me to. Sure. Uh, so there's a lot of in- just incredible music to discover, um, and the school is right across the street from a record store, and I just started buying records every day after school. You know, old Randy Newman records and um, uh, Harry Nielsen and Neil Young and Dylan and Hank Williams and, you know, and and scores of Ray Charles and scores of old blues records, you know, um, Alvin Wolf and and, uh, Memphis Slim, one of my favorites, Pine Top Perkins, you know, Willie Dixon. Like, there's so much I... I learned from making music the center of my world for those few years. So I had nothing to do but study music and then go home and listen to music. And learn and learn and learn to hear. Oh, I had read in an in another interview online that your dad had introduced you to gospel music and you listened to gospel when you lived out in Los Angeles, but we don't hear that gospel sound until later on in your career. Well, it's interesting because if you Go back to my band, Natural Causes, in Miami. There's a lot of it. Okay. And I think when I went on the road and I was pretty limited to just a guitar, that kind of shaped my sound for a few years after that. Sure. Um, But I've been slowly adding more and more piano and um, kind of um, expanding the, you know, the color and the harmonic palette of my recordings. Um, I was so... um, like for my earlier albums that are, you know, uh, Raising a Nation and Come Sunday Morning are nearly strictly acoustic guitar. Sure. Um, with some piano, but um, I was limited to, those, that was what I had access to. Sure. Um, so I'm returning, yeah, you yeah, you had said that my father introduced me to, to um, gospel. It was actually something I came across in my father's car accidentally okay. on the radio. And when I found it, it, it was just like the passion um, blew my mind. Like I, I'd never heard anything, you know, I mean, that's on a whole nother level than, you know, even, you know, like, you know, when you, when you listen to like Aretha Franklin, you want to cry, you know, that sure. the, the emotional aspect of the vocalization is just like so tremendous. I don't see a lot of that anymore. We don't, but um, I used to run errands with my father on uh, on Sunday mornings just so I can, you know, hop in the old Monte Carlo and kick on the AM stations, and they would broadcast live out of Watts on the uh, Sunday... Uh, uh, the Sunday uh, services, gospel, right? The Sunday gospel shows. So they, they did, went from a different uh, um, uh, church, like every Sunday, they would go around yeah. and capture different choirs and they were just all world class i mean it was so so at what age when you at what age did you suddenly realize 
that the music meant more to you than it seemed to mean to some of the other people around you, that there was something inside of you that awoke when you, when you heard that? Well, I think it, you know, I, I was, you know, people think it's weird. I, like, I'm not a huge music fan. You know, okay. I love music, but like, I don't, I, you know, it's really, I'm more interested in, um, uh, music effort. Um, I don't know if that's the right. So, so well, if, like, I if like you're more interested in the, yeah, I like, I'm, I'm interested in, in intentional music. Okay. Um, Define that, that. Define that for us. What is well, intentional music? It, it, it's a as it's like as a tool. It's as a means of communication and inspiration. Um, I think that's why gospel music speaks so much to me, even though I'm not a religious person at all. But the desire and the intense need to share an idea of love or um, whatever it is that you're trying to convey. Like, those are the kind of artists that always really spoke to me uh, when I was a kid. That's why, you know, John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band, I mean, if you listen to, like, that first solo album, you sure. know, the emotional content. It's that, an incredibly raw it's, album, and it hits yeah. you right right between the eyes, absolutely. Yeah, and... Uh, so, but, so, so were you also connected to the social causes as well, sort of well, at yeah. the same time? Well, that's were... what, yeah, I mean, I, what I would witness is music making uh, differences in the world and inspiring movements. And, and I think more importantly than just wanting to rock, I wanted to change the world. So sure. my best, the best tool I had, the, sharp, the sharpest tool I had in my shed was music. And so really it's, it's a... Um, it's uh, it means to an end, I guess. It's just I just want you know I want to use this music to uh, share ideas more than just to play music. Well, you know, some of the greatest revolutions were caused by talented people wearing a jacket and a tie. You didn't have to be, you know, a revolutionary by throwing rocks when you could just send the idea out and help it grow. So that that's a fascinating direction to take. Yeah, and that's always been my intention. That's, I guess, that's what I meant by intentional. So, how old were you when you started performing and you realized that this was something you needed to do to breathe? Um, well, I think in the seventh grade talent show, <laughs> when I played... Um, what song did you do? Actually, believe it or not, I, I did uh, a, a Phil Collins song that was popular at the time. Oh, God, which Take one? Take a look at me now. Okay, know, okay, I can see you singing that I one. Okay. The title, but like, <laughs> yeah, I know the song. Um, the energy and attention and excitement and focus of a good number um, of people in the audience and the way they responded, I was like, holy shit, this is like something powerful. And, you know, I, I, I appreciated it and respected that. And I felt like um, if I'm given the opportunity to uh, get on a mic, I think it's my obligation to make it worthwhile and to make it say something. And sure. um, so for me, when, once I recognized... Um, kind of, you know, the, I guess power seems like a, a 
I, so let, let's that. refer to it more as a, a it's a gift and a, and it's almost like an albatross that if you don't explore the gift you can't be who you are this is what you were meant to do yeah um i just feel that um it's an opportunity to have an audience of people that will listen to ideas and i hope my ideas mean something to them and hopefully inspire them um so i never look down any opportunity to get in front of a group of people and to start talking and singing and sharing ideas so that's that's what motivates me as sure. a performer and, and and we didn't mention him but i would imagine uh Pete Seeger would certainly play mm-hmm. big into that his statement even at the House of Un-American Activities, was that if there's an audience willing to listen to him, he'll play and sing for anyone, yeah. regardless of their background. So, uh, so, the, so, in the suburb or the side of uh, Los Angeles, your your parents are breeding a a, uh, a a social conscious movement maker. They were supportive of this and had no problem with you, uh, you know, talking about Woody Guthrie a lot. No, we were a liberal <laughs> Jewish family, you know, just uh, uh, always committed to um, kindness and um, and uh, my parents were always very broadly open-minded and, sure. and supportive of uh, my efforts. That's great. Well, um, one of the words that gets used in lots of the articles that are written about you is this term troubadour. And for a troubadour to be a troubadour, that means you sort of have to travel. And for a guy who takes his travels and turns them into allegories and metaphors and stories, some uh, directly telling the story like of uh, Viola Liuzzo, which Mm -hmm. is is almost like a, a biography in a song about her as a civil rights activist, um, you your career's chugging along, and then, you know, about a year and a half ago, it unplugs. Uh, how does a troubadour who probably needs to experience the interaction of people and and hear their stories and be a part of an you know what's going on around? How do you survive being locked in the house for a year and a half? Well, it's been a challenge. I, I've really actually been viewing it as a real fortunate gift for all the time that I've been able to spend with my three kids that I would have never had, you know, all my kids home all day long and with them. It's really just ultimately been a a gift that way. So that's, that has filled my heart, which is, uh, you know, softened the blow of not having, you know, the opportunities to tour and stuff. But I've made a lot of music. I hosted a uh, four-month um, fundraiser for musicians. We I hosted a show every night for, and actually sometimes twice a day for uh, four months. And we raised $35,000 for musicians who were struggling at the very beginning of the shutdown when suddenly we didn't even have money in our pockets. Sure. Never mind a job or anything food and um, when, so when, when, when you say hosted was this a virtual online yeah, thing it was, yeah it was virtual but i would get on our 
Helen Berman's Corona Classic Concerts. We had a Facebook page, and I would go live first mm-hmm. and you know play a little something and you know make some stupid jokes <laughs> and then introduce our, our featured artist for the night. Who then I would get off and then they would go live. Okay. And um, each artist got paid two hundred dollars. And uh, we raised $35,000. and That's paid, fantastic. Paid over 150 unique artists at least $200 a piece for now, their... Was this just Asbury artists or was this around no, the country, around the world? We had, people, we had people performing from the Netherlands, from Australia, um, from uh, all, over, all over the United States, Nashville. Sure. Asheville, Austin, LA, New York. But that's you know, that's the power of the music and the word that there's good to be done. Uh, so, uh, just before the pandemic, and we were we were chatting before we started the official interview podcast here. Uh, there seem to be two moments in your life career where, at the it seems like at that last moment, it, it takes the curve that you weren't expecting. Certainly the idea of signing with Island Records and I was reading you got to play with the band, you met Dave Grohl. Yeah. I mean you're you you were working with Tom Dowd. I mean, these are the top notch people that you want to meet, and then unfortunately Tom passes away. Um you take some time to regroup. You essentially you pull yourself back together. You you around twenty twenty or twenty nineteen you, you put this great album to, you know or anyway, you're you're doing your thing and then the second curve is then COVID starts just as you're ready to launch this big push. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you recover from that? And and then what do you do after that? Well, you sort of grow accustomed to it. <laughs> uh, I don't look very far forward and I don't get excited about anything. In, until the check clears. Yeah. I, you know, you just can't, I've, you've been, you, you know, this, career and really no matter what level you're on unless you are Dave Grohl yeah <laughs> um, who's one of the nicest guys ever he sure um, seems that way on TV he really is though he's just like that in real life um, so unless you're you know obviously you you, you get that gilded path um, and well deserved but um, you're going to you're going to run into a lot of adversity as long especially when you do it for life you know I've been I've been doing this for 35 years, um, so you're you you're certainly you're tested um, about what it is that you do music for, and um, it it always um, validates my efforts in a way. It's like this is why I keep doing. You know, this, sure. I I just you know you you look for new. Um, battles understandable and and you got to get back up because it's what you do uh so essentially you know the world is opening up a little bit and you have this this album that's a year old that's also brand new in many ways uh called what kind of world i i think it's great that you were talking about sort of connecting on a whole different level with your children during the uh during the lockdown and and that the responsibility of an adult and what we're leaving our children is certainly thematic throughout the album. Uh, and that was before COVID that you would finish recording that. So 
tell us about the album, uh, What Kind of World. And, and now, is that a picture of one of your children on the cover? Yeah, it's a beautiful photograph. Thank you. He's who, too now. Who, took, the, who yeah. took that photograph? Let's give that person credit. Oh. You know what? We're going to have to put it in the put it in I'll the put it in the show notes. It's a put beautiful it picture. I've got, to, yeah, I've got to look up her name. We actually went and did a, it was a family photo shoot after our, our son was born, Noah. And uh, while we were there, we grabbed a few individual shots. Yeah. And uh, I'll put it, up a link to all that. It is a beautiful black and white picture of you holding a, a baby. Really just a beautiful picture. Uh, so, what kind of world? What what kind of world are we supposed to leave our children? That's I, a good I, question. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I've been on the planet for fifty six years. I in in my short time, um, other than maybe the Reagan years for a little bit when I was in high school, I I can't think of a more polarized, more chaotic time than right now. Yeah, uh, where it seems to be that. Uh, Anyone with a Twitter account and 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 the ability to type can suddenly become an expert. What 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 kind of world do we want to leave our kids? What's your vision? Well, it's always changing, but ultimately, what I long for now is a, you know a kind of world where my children can be happy, not struggle the way, you know, all of mankind has through history, obviously. Sure. But there's, there's important things, you know, a, a world with clean air, clean water, um, a world with good, clean food, um, uh, with, you know, opportunities to um, learn and be creative, um, and one where there aren't, dis, you know, displays of hatred. Um, that's really, I think, the, the one thing that makes all the happy stuff very difficult to enjoy is that when you are constantly reminded that there are people that truly are hateful and, uh, and no short, no shortage of them. Of they're, they're hateful of people who have different religions, religion, different philosophical thoughts. Uh, diff- different um, languages, sexual orientations, different skin color. Obviously, I mean we're we're you know famous in this country for uh, racism, and uh, you know it makes it hard for me, anyways, to appreciate. You know, truly, I've been so fortunate in my life that. You know, one might think that I just enjoy it, you know, um, but the truth is I have difficulty enjoying it when I see this around me. And then, you know, especially when it comes close to home and, you know, in your communities and, and um, it's always something I think it's something that I learned being Jewish as a young kid um, and 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 being exposed at a very early age about the horrors of the Holocaust. Certainly. And being the, um, the focus of hatred and experiencing that firsthand. I mean, yeah, I'm white, but, um, was there a large Jewish community where you grew up? Yeah. Well, Los Angeles. 
<laughs> I, I, I don't know much about Los Angeles. Uh, it's like New York, you know. Yeah. Everyone's, you know um, but but I find now it's one of the largest uh, yeah. communities of Jews in the world. Really? Yeah. So I have to do better research on that. I I, I grew up in a in a secular progressive Jewish home. You know, mm-hmm. my, my parents took me to see Pete Seeger once a year when he came around uh, uh, and enjoyed that. I I find now, though, it's a bizarre time in that this country is becoming more progressive and more conservative all at the same time. We have federal rules that protect the rights of lots of different kinds of people and choices, LBBU plus whatever the proper phrases and then and then on the state level they don't want to offer these people health care or their partners health care and oh. I, and and in, unless you go back to just before the civil war in in many cases and the argument about slavery it, it seems like we're more polarized now and i you know i lived through the very end of the vietnam war so you know i wish my dad was alive i could ask him about that and about the uh, communist witch hunts in in the 50s and 60s but man we live in a schizophrenic time yeah it's it's weird it is definitely weird and um look the truth is we need to get more involved in local politics and that's you know i think liberals and progressives have a tendency to see very broad ideas and they get involved on the federal level because they think that federal law protects, it's like an umbrella um, that protects, you know, individuals in all the states. Mm-hmm. But we really need to be more involved, you know, in, I think, state run, especially in the South, in, in red states, in the Midwest, and in the Southern states that are, that are sure. you know, because we're all out there. I mean, if everybody were to vote, I'm pretty sure we'd fall on the right side of every one of these um, issues. And if, and if voting was made easier to access, if we had a national voting holiday, if we had national federal regulations of how many voting booths there must be per, for well. num- per capita, for number of people that need to use that voting oh and and take on the way that the maps and the gerrymandering is done to suppress yeah. certain votes and make sure they don't get the that there are groups of people who make up a much bigger percentage of the population but have a, a much smaller vote yeah you know and, and when you look at the country you know and you see that like uh, wyoming has the same number of people as trenton <laughs> like, right you know, and yet they still have the same number of senators as does california yeah, so it, so it really is. There's a bit of the minority, truly, um, that is helping, uh, it is slowing progress down. You know, our Senate uh, is, you know, as far, you know, uh, and I'm not interested in, you know, redoing the idea of the Senate. I think ultimately works because we, what, we what we have seen is progress over, over the decades. We are actually seeing it. It's uh, slow and painful, but like you said today, we're, we're really reaching new heights of, of, of progress on the federal level, um, and we need to make more inroads on the state level. But what's interesting is like all the Republicans in the state level want to legalize marijuana because you know, <laughs> they, they, they all put their money in it. 
Well, it, well, it, it's a self-serving investment, right? And yeah. and it's this, it's the same argument this country has this country's been struggling with since since inception is state rights versus federal rights, That's and it, right. and it depends on the particular issue, right? Yeah, of so. course. I mean, I have arguments with friends who are all states' rights and they're conservative, and they're like, "How can you trust the federal government?" I said, "Look, without the federal government." I probably would have been like kicked out of this country or never, my family would have never been allowed in this country. Sure. You know, so uh, I've got to go with the federal government because <laughs> they, they're the ones who I feel protected by. When I'm sure. driving, when I'm driving through Alabama in the middle of the night, I don't feel too safe but <laughs> as a rule, but I can drive from from coast to coast and feel ultimately protected by an idea and the federal government always is that's it's i think it's an it's an idea right it's like these are the things that we aspire to be and then on the state level we fight to actually make them what we want what you know a reality because you got to get you know and enough of that local government and you know you know congress representatives and senate representatives we we have to you know trickle up (laughs) Uh, man, have we strayed far, right? Yeah, uh, so far. Right. Let's uh, let's wheel this back a little bit. It's become uh, a progressive radio. Show. It's okay. Yeah. We'll we'll put a trigger warning for uh, for the red yeah. states who might listen to this. Uh, uh, how old are your children? Marlon? Nine, almost ten, almost seven, and almost three. Uh, now, especially like the ten-year-old, uh, music must be in the house all the time. Uh, does do, do your children have a particular interest, or do they think everybody's dad has an acoustic guitar and a piano in the basement? <laughs> well, my daughters, the ten and seven year olds, are um, particularly interested in pop music. Um, but the ten year olds actually just really starting to take. Actually, we we uh, showed them School of Rock. Okay, the uh, movie. The movie. Yeah. yeah. And now my daughter Tessa wants to learn how to play every instrument, you know. So she came down to the basement the other day and actually wanted to, you know, put drumsticks in her hand and play the guitar, and um, which is a new now a new experience for my son. He's he's already just sure he wants to just sit next to me, the you know, at the piano or whatever it is. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, he's the, the problem is that as they get older, they're going to touch your stuff. They they will. That's why I got to make sure that they know how to touch it. Yes. Properly. <laughs> yes. You know, turn the volume down before you unplug the amp. No one likes yeah. that well, sound. Well, they're not in the basement without <laughs> permission. Yeah. And the two-year-old never comes down here unless what, I'm holding them. Now, it's just, what do you what do you hide in there in the basement? Uh, there's no video for the podcast, but I see a a, a piano there. What else you got uh, in the in the neighborhood there? Oh, any number of cool guitars. A small drum kit looks like more drums. A jazz master can't go wrong with that. So do you do you record in your own house? Paul Junior. Wow! I hope you have that in in, in your insurance policy for the yeah. house. Oh, another piano. How do you get pianos into the basement, Arlen? There's a uh, uh, just a one step exit to the yard. So. Oh, okay. So, so do you record in in your basement as well? Yeah. Yeah. I've made my last uh, two records here since we've been in this house. Now, is the label uh, not pop? Records. Is is that your label? Uh, yes. 
Okay, so how do you deal with driving in the car and flipping on Spotify and your kids want to listen to pop music? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's they listen to kids' pop, which are like, sure. like little kids doing versions of the modern day. And I actually like it better than the actual recording. The, the, you know, and a lot of it, you know, there's just the stuff that I'm hearing is all like stuff with good messages, you know. So I, I don't mind it. Yeah. If it, it, it gets them, if it gets their attention and there's a positive message, then I'm all for it, you know. Sure. Even pop, even, even, well, sure. Even overproduced pop music can have a good message. I never had a problem with my daughter listening to some of the Taylor Swift. That's a very positive message. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes there's music that the kids really enjoy. Now, my kids are, you know, my two oldest are in their mid-20s, and my daughter just turned 19, and I'm still recovering from the fact that I have a daughter who's 19. Uh, <laughs> But the, the deal I had with my kids is when we were going to an event, I would play whatever they wanted on the car radio. But on the way home, I got to play what I wanted on the car radio. Right. Um, and uh, that's why I'm one of my most proud moments as a father is that my children can identify Billie Holiday's voice. If that's all I've done as a father, I'm okay with that. Home run. Home run. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. So, uh,. We live in an unpredictable world. Uh, it's not a particularly fair world at times. What What do you have on plan for, you know, essentially breaking out of the cocoon or chrysalis yeah. of this COVID right, nonsense yeah. and getting yourself back on track? I'm working on two records now. One with actually my old band from Miami, Natural Causes. Now, you just did a, a video where everyone yeah. played a part in that. So was that nice to get back with some old friends? Yeah, it was actually so nice that we decided, or that I, I guess I decided, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, we were going to do more. So I twisted all their arms. And uh, I, I had a really um, great opportunity. I I, uh, I tune pianos. I have a t piano tuning business. That's my day gig. And uh, I have been taking care of this Steinway Grand that used to be at the record plant in New York City, which has okay. now moved to this uh, recording studio called Hobo Sound in, in uh, Weehawken. And, um, Do they it, keep a list of all the different people's fingers that have touched that piano? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's been Elton John played Whatever Gets You Through the Night on it. Sure. Stevie Wonder played on it. Um Darkness on the Edge of Town and Born to Run was recorded on it. Fantastic. And uh, I have been caring for and kind of nursing back to health. And it's now, again, being employed in recording sessions. And I finally had the opportunity to record on it myself. So I went in there and I recorded eight songs um, on piano, including a cover of Darkness uh, on the Edge of Town. Uh, which the piano just has this obvious connection to the original. Sure, recording. sure. And you can hear it. I mean, when you put it, you listen to that, you reference the original track, then you listen to my piano track, and you're like, oh, that's the same. There it is. You could almost hear the piano, the piano smiling, right? It, it's yeah, happy to do so, that. Like, holy moly, that really is. You know, people talk, they're like, oh, yeah, blah, 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 played this, blah, 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 played that. So I wanted to hear after I recorded it if it actually 
if I could actually recognize it. And yeah. I was like, holy moly. That In a is, second. Yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so I'm sending it around now all over the country to uh, my old bandmates. And we're going to... Are you uh, exchanging the, the stems that you've used in uh, either Logic or Pro Tools? Or do you anticipate yeah, all being I, I in the same with, room? Yeah, No, we're not going to be in the same room. I'm, they're going to the drummer, the bass player, two guitar players. Yeah, that's, that's hard to get them to a barbecue, let alone a recording session, no, they're right? Everywhere. They're in Nashville, they're in Miami, they're in yeah. Cleveland. Um, so they're all over the place. And... Um, uh, you know, I just send MP3s, and they send me back their track. Sure. And uh, it's actually just like the old band. You know, like I'm not telling a drummer what to play in the studio. Um, sometimes I'll send a little reference track, but uh, you know, each of the players are um, putting their own stamp on it, and I think it's very reminiscent of the old band. Um, so I thought it was worthwhile and then I'm also working on another solo album um, so I'm trying to keep busy there sure. I'm also trying to, trying to um, produce a few new artists and you know keep as busy as I can until more playing opportunities come up I hope sure. that I can get these albums out um, by the fall because uh I like to, to tour in uh, Europe once a year, which I hadn't been able to do last year. Sure. And uh, but you, but you got to have a new record, you know. When you, so so what you're saying uh, is is that your wife puts up with a lot of your crap as well, honey. I'm going to Europe for four months. I'll see you next week. Well, no, I never go away that long. Yeah. I, not anymore. No, I go for a couple weeks. Do, do you um, find Europe more open to? like a solo artist or uh, someone coming through and playing to the cafes as opposed to driving across well, they're, America. They're really, there's a really large uh, community of people that love uh, intrinsically American music. Cause okay. like we're so fascinated with British bands. They love American music, uh, especially roots and Americana kind of stuff to them. That's like, Oh, that's, that's uniquely American. You know? Sure. Um, now, do you bring a certain so, packet of covers with you uh, no. to play, or this is all original? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's all original. Okay. Occasionally, I will throw something out, but not very often, honestly. Sure. And uh, I normally do two sets in the night. Uh, the audiences, especially in the Netherlands, they're incredibly attentive. They're, they all come in and they're in their seats waiting 45 minutes before curtain. They turn their phones off? They turn their phones off. They won't get up to use the bathroom. Um, in fact, most of them stay seated through the entire intermission break. Wow. And then they're um, very, they politely applaud in between songs. And then at the end, you really get to find out how oh, that's much amazing. they enjoy it. That yeah, must be so, a, a little intimidating, knowing that they're actually listening to everything you do. It's it is um, wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's really. I thrive. Let me put me in front of a mic. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna sing, and you're sure. listening. Now you got. Now you got to. Now you know. I got you. 
Um, no. Whether you agree or disagree, you know, you're going to, you know. No, I first saw you perform. Um, I was the one of the photographers at the Asbury Park TEDx that you performed at. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's where I first saw you and, and, and really enjoyed the music. And when I was thinking, uh, you know, COVID for me, uh, I, I'm a never was even close to being successful musician. I went into education and, and did that for many years, but I also did the photography on the side. So there really hasn't been much live music to take pictures of. So I've been doing yeah. this podcast and, and working with the Asbury Park Five uh, and volunteering at TEDx. Now your performance, and I'm going to have links all of this in, in the show notes. Your performance at TEDx is that indicative of, of your performance? It's like you started the song, you stop, you tell a story. Like it, it's more than just you singing. It's a whole. It's it's like a short stories being unfolded little at a time with the music that supports the theme of your story. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the TEDx talk was more talk than music, sure. but. Uh, my shows are more music than talk, but okay. yeah, I mean, I will vamp um, on a, the chord change of a song and talk and tell you all about viola and my my personal experience. Really, I mean, my relationship with viola, <laughs> although she's been uh, dead long uh, since before I was born, um, she and her legacy, and you know, she was murdered on the, the march from Selma to Montgomery. Now, just so, so we're talking about Viola Liuzzo. Yeah. Can you give give people who are listening the, the overview of, of who she is? She's not the most famous person uh, no, in history, no. but you've certainly found a great story that I think really embodies who you are as a patriot. Constitution Or we could fight it out And start up a revolution Either way is fine with me Still you refuse to see You're blind to a resolution Hold tight, we're gonna fight, yes, I told you. I hope you're with me, Viola. We could take this all and scream it from ocean to ocean. We could really set it off and start up a big commotion. We take hands, but we have forgotten that love is all we've got. And I believe that I could show you. Hold tight, we're gonna fight. Yes, I told you. Stand tall, stand upright, you're a soldier. 
We're gonna take this head on shoulder to shoulder I hope you're with me, Viola Break these chains of silence Break these chains of violence We will walk these miles And go home I told you Stand tall Stand upright You're a soldier Oh, you're a soldier We're gonna take this Head on shoulder to shoulder I hope You're with me, Viola I hope you with me, Viola. I hope, I hope you're with me. She's be- she is slowly earning more um, praise and conversation. Um, but yeah, she was a white woman. She grew up in the South, she, but her family moved to Detroit and um, was always uh, quite progressive. And as a young white woman of the times, we're talking 1955, just, you know, she was murdered in 65. Um, she, her best friend was a black woman. She joined the NAACP. And um, when Dr. King, uh, you know, called for all people of good conscience to march on Montgomery, she felt uh, that it was her duty as an American um, to go. And she kissed her kids on the head and told her husband she was hopping in the car and driving down to Selma, uh, which is a brave thing to do for uh, you know, a woman alone in a vehicle at that time, sure. you know, it's like driving black now. Um, it's different. It was unsafe. And well, she got down there and she volunteered driving marchers back and forth between Montgomery and Solomon. And on one of those trips, uh, a car full of Klansmen um, and a uh, FBI informant um uh, chased her down and gunned her down on the side of the road. There was a young black man in the car, uh, Leroy Moten. Um, he uh, got away with his life. He was able, when she drove off the road, he had not been shot and managed to get out of the car and run into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, he's still alive today. Actually, we I've had the chance of conversing with him several times, and um, so she was the only white woman uh, murdered during the civil rights movement, and um, she is slowly be gaining recognition. I hope that I've played a role in it somehow. Um, but Obama did mention her at his first inauguration. Oh, that's wonderful. And, um, she is being more and more. Um, mentioned in list in the list of people um, sure. who whose lives were taken for and that it, fall. it's really a story ripe for a a good biography movie you, you know a serious well acted overview of what that's about there's a documentary out there yes yes but i i, I want to see more of a more of a movie that uh, I, I would love to see that too i mean she there's enough there. there's enough crap in the world we might as well put something good out she was she was um, included as a character in uh, Oprah's Selma. Okay. Movie. She was recognized briefly, Good. but recognized in the film. Um, anyways, um, since I wrote that song, you know, my life changed. I, I, I performed it uh, for for years, really, and on one Martin Luther King morning, um, after an article, there was a young african-american woman who came to see me perform the night before i had played it and she had taken interest in the song and she wrote for the um uh asbury park press and she wrote an article about the song the next day martin mm -hmm. luther king day included lyrics and stuff and um uh, sally liuzzo viola's youngest daughter had her google alert set for any time her mother oh, that's fantastic the press yeah yeah and so she sent me a a uh, a direct message on uh, on uh, Facebook and said, you know, thanking me for recognizing her mother, and um, I was blown away because I, I didn't know she had children. I, I really didn't delve into her personal life. Sure, she was just an enigmatic character that I was like, man, those, that's that's the kind of friend I want. You know, those sure. are the people I want to march with. Um, I got a letter from two other daughters. Um, I spent the evening like crying because I was just like so emotionally overwhelmed that the song had this much reach. And uh, they invited me to join them in Shreveport, Louisiana a month later. The mayor was uh, uh, um, making Viola Liuzzo Day. And they wanted me to come down and meet the family and accept the honor with them and perform the song at the ceremony. Mm -hmm. And so I, of course, I uh, went down and I met Viola's daughters and we hugged and cried and it was, it was like unbelievable. And I performed at the ceremony and was on the, the stage with them when the mayor gave them their, their big you oh, know, proclamation. That's wonderful. And uh, since then we've become very close and, and uh, I, I um, it opened up incredible opportunities to do exactly what it is that I wanted to do, which was sure. let music bring me to my my real dreams of, of making you know the world a better place by ensuring voting rights it's really been one of my major platforms sure. um so i got to travel i've traveled all over the country with the family uh, appearing at events they were speaking at and being um a, a speaker and a performer right. um at these events, including the 50th anniversary, I went down to Selma and sang 
um, Viola and a, a, new, a new song I'd written for the event called 50 Miles mm-hmm. and uh, performed that at her uh, uh, memorial marker right there on the side of the highway where she was murdered with her family and about 200 other um, people who sure. gathered at the memorial. Um, and these kind of experiences have been the most, um, you know, rewarding and heartfelt experiences. And it reminds me of why it is that I chose this this means to really get to do what I really want to do. Sure. Um, do you think that middle school kid singing Phil Collins at, at the talent show could have ever imagined that you'd become so, so closely linked with the civil rights movement and have the opportunity to interact and, and become part of a living history of, of an amazing part of American history. It has been part of who I am since I can remember. So I'm, I mean, yes, it's surprising to find yourself in the midst of it, you know, um, suddenly hanging out with, you know, governors and mayors and, you know, and, uh, this kind of thing. Well, well, why not? You Hollywood elite are always hanging out with the politicians. I know, I know. That's right. <laughs> and the media. So, um, I lost track. Well, it's amazing. Amazing stuff. Uh, yes, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's always been what, what I I suggest that you sort of knew that that's what you're going to do anyway. It was sort yeah, of ever a, since I ever since I could remember ever since yeah. really ever since I learned um, about the Holocaust and hate that kind of hatred. Sure. And then I would learn about uh, about the abhorrent um, racism that this country was really, you know, sadly built on in so many ways. Sure. And I felt connected to that, and I was never. And I was. I was. I was always clear that I was going to, to stand by these people. I participated in in uh, uh, actions uh, in junior high school, in high school. Oh, that's um, fantastic. It, it has been a part of who I've been from the beginning. And that's when I say when music became a, um, the obvious tool. And I, when I learned that, performing just some pop song, sure. I saw you there's be there's about power that. in that, yeah. Yeah, now, I was like, this I, is I, how I'm going. This is how I'm going to do it. it was and like, I'd, I'd imagine you're raising your children the same way. You'll be taking them with you to events as, yes, as they get a little been, bit older. We've been. I actually, I, I, you know, we've been to many marches. Sure. Not in that very park um, with the kids. Uh, we make protest signs with them. <laughs> um, we, we teach them to um, be kind and. Uh, and uh, I even took my uh, oldest daughter. Uh, I took her to Detroit with me. Um, they were unveiling a statue at Viola Liuzzo Park in Detroit in, the, in their home neighborhood. Oh, that's wonderful. And I was invited to come for the unveiling and perform at the ceremony. And I wanted my daughter, who I thought was old enough to understand, sure. to come and see what it is that I do, first yeah. of all. I don't want her just thinking I'm I'm disappearing and 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 for no good reason, but to entertain myself. <laughs> um, so I brought her with me, 
and I and we talked when we flew there. We talked about Viola. We talked about the importance of what she did and what she sacrificed,、mm-hmm. and that, of course, you know, um, um, you know, it, these are scary, scary topics. But at the same time, I want her to be a strong woman,、sure. and I want her to know that the things and the choices she makes can affect. The world and her community and her family and、mm-hmm. all these things, and that she should take ownership of her strength and her pride. Sure. And、um, so I took her with me, and she、uh, played in Viola Liuzzo Park with Viola's great grandchildren. How wonderful is that? And I, you know, hung out with her, her children and her grandchildren, and met her great grandchildren. That's fantastic. And it was just absolutely an incredible experience, and being with my daughter was so meaningful. And、uh, then on the way out, we stopped、uh, at Motown. <laughs> I, gave her, I gave her a music lesson. <laughs> This is the house where Motown was born in, right? Yes. <laughs> so、uh, you had mentioned.、Uh, Uh, Asbury, and, and and again, people wouldn't see this, but you're wearing a very popular shirt that said、uh, "Music Saved Asbury Park."、Uh, what's your connection with Asbury as, as a as a as a Los Angelian who is now really you're more New Jersey than many of the New Jerseyans? I I've been here just as long. <laughs> yeah. Right.、Um, so talk talk briefly about your your connection with Asbury and and. Well, I started playing Asbury Park in ninety、uh, nine. And、uh, that was long before its current、uh, resurgence. Sure.、Um, and、uh, you know, watching the build and being a part of it、um, was a, an incredible, rewarding experience. And, sure. And to see what the, that that power of music did rebuild the city. I mean,、yeah. it truly did. Um, the same thing kind of happened in Miami Beach when we were down there. That Miami Beach now has no music clubs. They have plenty of discos. Yeah. But the town really got its push back from the gay community and the original music community. Sure. And it's the same story in Asbury Park. You know. And throw you know, in the the artists who artists found inexpensive loft space. Yeah. The galleries.、Um, yeah. You know. It's the same thing that built Williamsburg. It's the, you know these are the things you know the power of art and humanity、um, really brings build cities and Asbury Park is an incredible example of it. Are you nervous or anxious at all that part of that is being、uh, co-opted or corrupted as no, it, it gets a little、is. too big? It always is. Um, it's part of the process, you、yeah. know. As artists, we also have to let that go. It's like raising a kid. At some point, it's going to make its own decisions、sure. and lead its life. I think, as artists, it's our opportunity to create these opportunities for cities, then to identify themselves however they want. I think Asbury Park is always going to be、uh, centered around uh, music, um, but. You also have to understand that you know it's going to be gentrified. It's going to you know we're all ultimately going to get priced out, and we're going to go to new cities and do the same thing again. Do you do you and, see any of the other New Jersey cities working on that resurgence? I hear Jersey Montclair, City, is- Jersey City, definitely.、Yeah. Montclair's done it.、Um, 
all based around the arts, theater, music. Sure. And, and um, Montclair is... Uh, Montclair... Is very, it, very affluent. <laughs> but but, but it's, it's very affluent, and there's part of it, I mean... Montclair really represents an amazing cross-section of everybody who lives in this country. Yeah. Once you get past some of the bigger houses, it really is, you know, this is what this country looks like. This this yeah. is who live here. It is. And, um, you know, it really is a, and a lot of the same people who are creating arts in New York City. Sure. They live in Montclair, they go into the city, and they, you know, they... They bring access and they bring connections and um, and a love for art and music and that's really helped that city grow. Jersey what, City is again, yeah, another city that's. What's interesting though about Jersey City and Montclair, they both have very direct train rails to New York City that yeah. gets you to wherever else you want to go in, in the five boroughs. Whereas Asbury seems to be doing it without that direct train, unless in the summertime. Uh, you take it to you know from New York to go to the well, beach, so it's well, almost yeah, like Asbury, Asbury does yeah, it on its own. Has something that those other cities don't have, which is music lore. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you that you can't. You, there's no comparison, right? Oh, absolutely, so, absolutely. Uh, it, it's what Asbury has. More like that, Memphis, you know, it's got like that kind of. Well, what Asbury has which I wish they really had one is the sound of the carousel. Asbury needs a carousel because I think that is the sound of the Jersey shore. That is the sound. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. When you read about, uh, Bruce Springsteen and the East street band and they, I, I don't remember who his keyboard player is off the top of my head, but he, he even talks about in, in the way he plays the keyboards in the organ, he played the octave up on what they were doing because it reminded him of the sound of the music that came out of the carousel. And and it's like you go to Asbury Park and you think there should be a real vintage carousel churning out that that organ music because yeah. you he, you hear it echoing in every part of the town. It just doesn't exist in real life. No, and once upon a time it did. Yeah. It, it would be nice to have that back and it, I think it would bring even more people Hey, that, um, this this gives us a movement. We we need yeah. to start the Asbury I'm Park sure carousel movement. I'm sure there's one already. You know, I'm sure there are, are people that have been kind of taking that on for years and years. Well, you know, they fixed up some parts of Asbury in the boardwalk, which is gorgeous, and there's other parts that I think you need to wear a hard hat if you're going to walk under. Uh, but it would be nice if they... It's like an unfinished... It's not an unfinished sentence. It's an unfinished paragraph. There's 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 a few more sentences that need to be written in the resurgence of Asbury Park to really yeah. make it what it should have, what it I don't know if it what it was in real life as opposed to the mythology behind Asbury Park but certainly what it should be and what it could be yeah so we'll we'll work on that yeah it's coming along though I gotta <laughs> say man compared to when I first the first time I went to Asbury Park uh, it was a whole different kind of feeling sure sure. <laughs> Well, it, it's, you know, I, I it's a lot easier to tell people who are not from Jersey that I live near Asbury Park than to say mm-hmm. I live it than I live in Freehold. Freehold means nothing to them. Right. It seems like Asbury Park or when I lived up north, you would say, oh, I live, you know, just outside of New York City. Th- those are the two <laughs> sort of markers. Um. Anyway, we've spent 
well more than an hour chatting with Arlen Phyllis. Arlen, is there anything I forgot to ask that you want to tell us? It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. I could truthfully, I, I, I could do this for like three hours if I had a, <laughs> you know, like a black and tan, and and I hope I was able to. Yeah, uh, I would need another drink. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is there anything you wanted to leave us with that uh, we um, need to remember? Uh, I don't think so. I'll just say this, since I've got listeners. Um love each other and vote use your voice use your power change the world that's it hold tight we're gonna fight just I told ya stand tall stand upright you're a soldier you're a soldier We're gonna take this Head on shoulder to shoulder I hope you with me Viola I hope you with me Viola I hope I hope you with me